This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, the 5 o'clock show, the number one show in New York. It's a TriCast on WABCRadio.com, 770 on the dial, and WFAN WFAN, what did I say that? Wow. <laughs> and 970, the answer, and uh, WLIR in uh, Hampton Bays. And uh, we have a, a strong audience here in our studio. We have uh, Nelson Happy, J. Nelson Happy uh, from Lawrence, Kansas, and Dean of the, uh, uh, of the uh, Law School Region University, Ed Cox, and uh, 10 years GOP chairman and former and current uh, was son-in-law of uh, President Nixon and Governor Patterson, <laughs> owner of uh, the Yankee tickets that uh, got, got that, that somebody sold you or gave you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the right answer. <laughs> so before before we get to our guests, we have a uh, General David Petraeus coming up. I wanted to talk about the response the Department of Justice had to Trump's team asking for a special master regarding those Mar-a-Lago documents. They responded in a very lengthy document. What was it, 55 pages? And you both read it, Ed Cox and Nelson Happy. So let's go. Nelson, what was your take on it? We'll have you go first. Well, thanks. Uh, My take is several points that were interesting to me about this response. First of all, President Trump is is self-inflicted wounds. He didn't go to the judge that had granted the search warrant, but instead he filed his own separate lawsuit against the United States, got a different federal judge, and then asked for a special master to be appointed. But the whole gave the government an opportunity to state their case in a different forum, in a, in a public document. And there are several things that strike me about this that's important. I think Trump at least was extremely sloppy in the maintenance of records that were both classified records and his own uh, presidential documents, which clearly, to me, are covered by the Presidential Records Act. And Cox, any opinion? Well, I had about 10 minutes reviewing this quickly, (laughs) and Nelson loaned me his copy. But I was struck at the start. It says the U.S., the United States has complete ownership uh, possession and control of all those documents. Now, I know that's not true, but that's all they say, except as otherwise said in the Presidential Records Act. And there are lots of room in there where the president does have rights. For example, the D.C. Court of Appeals in 2012 said the president has the exclusive right to decide what's personal. Exclusive. Not even a court can challenge it. It's quite unusual. President Trump and responded. The reason, the reason okay. for this is that it was passed in 1978. Mm-hmm. President Carter was president, not President Nixon. And President Carter was looking at what he might be able to do as a former president, what documents he could take. And he had behind him uh, uh, a history going back from George Washington 
right up to Car- to Carter, where the president actually owned the papers completely. President Nixon owned all his papers. That was decided by the court. And and Trump, uh, he put out on Truth Social, he said, I declassified everything. So, Well, I don't think that helps him because uh, he responded to uh, an original request by the government for production of documents and said that he had produced everything that he had in 15 boxes, which was a complete fabrication and lie. And that... The FBI had other evidence to show that he had many more documents, and he was not truthful about it, and his attorneys were not truthful about it. Did he say that, or did his, uh, his attorney possession did. of records, the person who was responsible for his records? Oh, I'm he, not even sure it was his attorney. It was someone who was supposed to be in charge of his records. According to this, it was his attorney who responded okay. and said, that's it. You've got everything. So Go- Governor uh, Patterson, any comments? I think the declassification issue is going away. Because there's no evidence of, that it existed. You can't just say you did something. There's got to be some documentation, and there's none there. But on the issues related to whose property that is, that's probably still debatable. But can Biden waive executive privilege of uh, his predecessor? That does not have any sense. All the objects of executive privilege is so the president can consult with his staff, and it will never be known. Even after he leaves office, and does that cover documents too? And, and that would well, it would it would cover documents that went that yes. was important to yeah. to their discussions. Yes. One other thing that I think is important about this is that Trump waited two weeks after his documents were seized to ask for a special master. And by then, <laughs> yeah, and that was the, the example the that they used. Say, oh, they should he should have done it like Michael Cohn, who was yes. a lawyer. Respond, well, that's ridiculous. And Michael Cohn was under investigation. He knew it. There was a back and forth going on. His lawyers are ready to respond. This is a completely unusual case. But yeah, the but president that, was blindsided by it. They've been asking so. him for documents for a year before. But so he, this didn't come as a surprise well, to him. Uh, let me tell you, the raid came as a surprise to the whole country. But even if it's true that he did have documents he wasn't supposed to have, I think we can all agree that a raid with 30 FBI agents was a little bit of overkill. Can can we all agree to that? Or was it better for who, him who to... Who were the FBI even, agents? Even the, the raid fight, was the, overkill. The CIA, the Secret Service agents? And and was he better off just burning everything like maybe some other presidents well, before him? Well, Nixon didn't burn the tapes. Uh, and But, but what did Hillary do? Uh, I don't know about All right, let's move on. She did burn everything on. she could. Let's move on. I understand. We may have to come back to this before the show's over. <laughs> this is very good. General David Petraeus, welcome back to Cats at Night. Good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, General, can you give us an update of uh, what the heck is going on, uh, uh, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Afghanistan? Where would you like to start? There's so many things happening. Well, why don't we start in Ukraine, because I think there have been some very important developments there in recent weeks, uh, particularly that, you know, this mountain of arms, ammunition, vehicles, other military equipment and training and so forth have enabled the Ukrainians really for the first time in this war to seize the strategic initiative. In other words, now the Russians are responding more to them than they are responding to the Russians. To be sure, the Russians are still trying to seize additional territory, but they're making virtually no progress. And on the other side, the Ukrainians have been hammering the Russians with these very precise munitions for the multiple launch rocket system and heavy artillery pieces that we have provided to them in very substantial numbers. 
uh, and then even taking out uh, aircraft on airfields down in the Crimean Peninsula. So the Russians are having to move their logistics sites, their headquarters, their fuel depots, their assembly areas, even their barracks outside the range of the multiple launch rocket system, 70 to 80 kilometers. What that means is that it's much more difficult for the Russians to support the troops on the front lines, and they're having to move their aircraft literally all the way back into Russia. Uh, so they'll be much less responsive than they have been, and they haven't been all that impressive to begin with. But then on top of that, three days ago, the Ukrainians announced that they've begun this much-anticipated counteroffensive in the south to take back that territory, which is on the west side of the Dnipro River, uh, centered on a city called Kherson, the first of the regional uh, the, the first provincial capital seized by the Russians, and the only one, I believe, other than uh, one one in the east side. Um, so this is quite significant. Um, they have not yet had a huge breakthrough, although there may have been one today. We're looking still to get the reports from the battlefield uh, as they filter out. Um, and, of course, social media and all the rest of this provide this unique window into this particular war that we never had in the past with everyone being a reporter with a smartphone. Um, so this is quite significant. And now we're going to find out, frankly, whether the Ukrainians can do something they have not yet done during this war. They have defended magnificently, brilliantly, heroically, uh, and very, very professionally and competently. But going on the offense requires you to integrate not just infantry, but also armor, artillery, mortars, engineers, uh, explosive ordnance disposal personnel, uh, attack helicopters, close air support, multiple launch rocket systems, uh, all of that has to be brought together. And you have to keep supplying uh, those forces as they retake areas from the Russians uh, so that they can solidify their control on them. Uh, and that's ongoing now. So again, in the literally in the days that lie ahead, we're going to find out whether the Ukrainians can conduct offensive operations in the most difficult of possible contexts, which is urban fighting. Uh, fighting in cities, very, very challenging. The Russians have had enormous challenges with that. Uh, their, their solution essentially is essentially to just destroy the city uh, to take it. Uh, the Ukrainians obviously will want to avoid doing that, but there will be destruction nonetheless. You have to take out certain locations in which there are strongholds if you can't take them uh, any other way. So that's quite a significant development there. And I think it reflects the reality that the Ukrainians are proving to be much more uh, effective, efficient, and impressive in recruiting, training, equipping, uh, organizing, and employing additional forces uh, aided, of course, by the extraordinary support by the U.S. in particular, but also by other NATO countries and Western countries, uh, compared with Russia, which is really struggling just to replace its casualties, much less to provide trained, equipped, and organized uh, forces for them to employ on the other side. Uh, we had uh, Admiral Stavridis on the uh, about 10 days ago, and he was the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, mm -hmm. And he feels that uh, things are just going to be uh, moving around for the next six months, but six months from now, maybe, or seven months from now, that there's going to be a, a, a Vietnam or Korea type of solution with, a, with uh, 
dividing up the uh, uh, certain parts of uh, the Ukraine. What do you well, think? Look, I think? I think very, very highly of my old shipmate uh, and comrade, uh, Jim Stavridis. We worked together numerous times over the years, Iraq, Afghanistan, and so forth. Uh, but I think that this, the potential here could uh, bring about a different uh, outcome in the weeks and months that lie ahead than what he has laid out. Now, there's no guarantee. Um, you've only seen one small breakthrough so far, we believe. But this would be that moment where if the Russian morale is going to crack, if their indiscipline is going to show uh, that we might begin to see it. It's very, very difficult, John, to predict this. I've been in, you know, in the fights in the fight to Baghdad, urban battles where all of a sudden, and you can't understand what took place, all of a sudden the enemy crumbles. Um, and that's possible. It's by no means assured. If it does happen, uh, we'll see Ukrainian progress. And then the question is, can they then continue it and cross this very substantial Dnipro River and continue it uh, to the area that is north of the Crimean Peninsula. And uh, have the Chinese, you know, we're worried about the Chinese and all the problems mm -hmm. in the uh, Far East. Have they learned lessons from what happened with Putin? Well, there's a debate about that, John. Um, there are two schools of thought. One school of thought is that they should learn that big operations are really, really hard, especially if you've never done them. Keep in mind, they haven't been in actual combat since 1979 against a little border skirmish with Vietnam that didn't go that well for them. Um, and that urban combat is very, very difficult, that, that fighting against individuals who uh, don't want you to take their their territory uh, is particularly difficult, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, going across 100 miles or so of open ocean uh, in, in an amphibious operation is, again, among the most challenging possible uh, endeavors. Um, so there, there's that kind of that school of thought which would say that this gives caution. Uh, there's another school of thought that says, well, they look at Russia, they say, we're I mean, we're vastly better than Russia, and they are. They have vastly better forces, equipment, uh, discipline, uh, all the rest of that, capabilities. Um, and, by the way, again, the world can't respond to us the same way they have to Russia. They can't put the kind of crippling economic, financial, personal sanctions and export controls. They're just too substantial a part of the global economy. And so, again, you'd have that other a, a different perspective. I, I think the bottom line is I, I tend to think it's probably a bit more of a cautionary tale, noting that China has a very substantial number of challenges right now. Of course, in the very near term, um, the objective of President Xi is to get reelected uh, in mid-October when the party gathers. There's very little in doubt about that, but there have been wrinkles uh, that I, I'm sure he wished uh, had not transpired. The zero COVID policy that's caused continued challenges to their economy and to our supply chains. Uh, there have been challenges with the uh, real estate ever uh, grand uh, $300 billion of debt that has to be unwound and, and housing prices are going down. That's a huge part of the economy and one of the few areas where Chinese can invest. Uh, there's a number of different issues uh, with which they are contending uh, that they really wish they did not have. Uh, and so, again, there's certainly nothing in the near term, I don't think, uh, 
And and then beyond that, uh, there's going to have to be further consolidation in dealing with these particular specific issues that include, of course, a very substantial uh, economic slowdown, which has consequences for the rest of the world uh, as well, given how substantial a portion of the growth of the world they have been uh, in the past decade or two. General, we have one minute before we have to take a hard break. And Ed Cox and... Uh, and Nelson Happy, want to ask you a quick one with respect sure. to to China. Do you think that Xi, after looking what happened to Putin, even though he's chairman of the military commission, can he really trust his military and what they say they could do? Particularly when he looks back at the Vietnam, uh, it was more than a skirmish; it was a disaster for yeah. for for them in 1979, and his military yeah. has not been tested since then. Yeah, no, again, there will be doubts about that without question. I mean, there have to be. Um, and in fairly authoritarian systems like that one, um, again, is there truth being spoken to power uh, is always uh, a question. And leaders yeah. need to be self-aware and, and understand the challenges that that kind of system brings with it. Uh, General, this is Nelson Happy. I have a quick question for you. You're an expert in handling classified documents in your many years in military service. How do you think President Trump did in handling classified documents at Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, look, I leave, as I've told John countless times. No, no, times, no. I leave the general is not going to talk about political legal stuff. stuff. Oh, I, do, I leave you. that to all of you. Thank That's you. your your area of expertise. Thanks. That, thank you so much, General okay. Petraeus, for you everything bet. you've done for our country and continue you to bet. speak out for our country. God bless America and thank God bless. You, John. Take care. Always good to be with you. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, we are going to come back with Ricky Kleeman, uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton's uh, wife, and she is an expert in uh, legal affairs, and uh, uh, she, I think she's CBS Network's uh, legal analyst. And uh, let's take that break. 